Few officials meet the milestone of working for 50 years. Our guest in the ref's chat room, Angelo Mancini, has 55 years of experience. He shares his tools of experience, his humor, his humility, that has served him as a football and a basketball official. Angelo shares his philosophies that will suit officials in crafting a successful path. Angelo demonstrates the get-it-right heart of an official by rehashing a call from five decades ago that wasn't quite right. Angelo shares that he is always mindful of the work and the investment of the coaches and the players. Angelo expands that he still benefits from classes, clinics, and all learning opportunities, but he also relies on common sense as being the true to himself. Listen to this unique individual, full of warmth and charm, who uses his full personality, including his Italian heritage, to be the best. Please sit with us in the rest chat room, where the rest chat room hosts John McBride, that's me, has a fun conversation with El Capo, the chief of officiating. All right, good morning, everybody. It's uh, John McBride with the Refs Chat Room here. And uh, our guest today is Angelo Mancini. He's been a longtime friend of mine. He's been a longtime official in uh, basketball, football, and uh, he's my guest today. Good morning, Angelo. How are you doing today? Uh, good morning, John. Uh, I'm, I'm very uh, honored. I'm glad to talk to you today, and I hope you had a healthy, healthy Thanksgiving day. And uh, good, good. So. In the rest chat room, we talk about uh, officiating and we talk about fun things and things that happen and nobody knows about. So today I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions and say, hey, listen. So my first question is, how'd you get started in officiating? Well, you know, John, that's quite an interesting story because uh, having known you for such a long while, I was living in uh, Westgate Hills, my neighbor was uh, Norb Cadden, most people know Norb Cadden, did basketball and college foot, uh, college basketball and football, as well as he was in the signer, which was then the old Central League. And he approached me one time, I was a very young guy, just newly married, and said they needed new officials. And what I did is I took the test, and, and this was in 1966, so I'm going into my, my 55th year now, uh, when you take the test, as most people are familiar with, you have the opportunity uh, with your uh, uh, signing in to do two two sports. I followed up in the following year and got into basketball. So wow. I've been doing those two sports since 1966. Wow, that's amazing, Angela. 55 years. I mean, I haven't, uh, I'm not even that old. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you'd get Let me, that uh, old somewhere. I know. Listen, 55 years, I, I guess, let me ask you, what's your favorite story of all times that you have uh, in, uh, in in football? Let's do football first. Uh, we're at the end of the football season. What's your, probably your favorite story that you have that our listeners out there would be uh, get a chuckle out of or even get a good laugh? Well, John, I would like to tell you that there are like about two or three stories. I'll try and keep them concise, but I think it's worth mentioning them. Uh, they're all kind of favorites. 
one of the ones was going back to those days when I officiated, there were only four men officials at the varsity level. And at that time, the coaches had a lot to say about selecting officials and also when deciding whether you were going to be coming back or not again. Uh, so the one first story I can relate to is when I was working at Springfield High School, coach at that time was Bill McCready's and we only had four men officiating. There was a disputed play which went against Springfield. And as I review that and going back over it these days, I can see why the coach was really upset about it. Because uh, I certainly think what happened is a game that ended up nothing, nothing, he could have easily have won. Uh, we had a play right before halftime uh, where he went for a touchdown and my umpire had holding. Of course, in those days, and I'm going to say these are my young days, uh, being less experienced and not having a larger crew to discuss it, the umpire reported holding to me and uh, I executed. When we got in, I talked to him at halftime, asked him what was the issue, and he says, well, the two players were tied up with their face masks. And I thought, uh-oh, <laughs> I said, here's a problem. So as it was, I didn't get to work the next year at Springfield. Also, during that period of time, I went to a viewing in, in West Philadelphia, D'Angelo. And uh, as I'm there, my father's cousin had just been deceased. And in comes walking Bill McCready's. And he looks at me and I look at him like, what are you doing here? And I said, well, the dead woman's my father's cousin. He says, well, that's my wife's aunt. So we kind of like, was mending fences and guess what i was back the following year working at springfield there you go kind of shows you how it worked and another there are a couple other uh funny incidents i think also worth all right well we'll we can save them for another time let me just get through some of these other curls i want to i want to ask you how did you move up uh you know you were talking four man now we do six man and seven man but how'd, how'd you end up moving up in the uh for our young officials that might be listening to this, how'd you move up uh, in football? Well, apparently, like most of us, you have to get the opportunity to be seen and get the opportunity to work in a game. I was probably in my third year, third or fourth year, there was an assigner, a uh, well-known NFL referee by the name of Walt Peters. And I had been working a league for him. So in my third year, I go into, this is now, Another Springfield, Montgomery County, four-man officiating. I walk into the locker room. The coach at that time for Springfield uh, was Al Black, and he was kind of feared by many officials, but I didn't know him. I was too young and innocent. And I walk in the locker room, and uh, there were three officials there. I can remember their names, uh, Bob Chubb, uh, uh, John Cordoba, and Bill Horowitz. And, they asked me, they said, what are you? I said, I'm the head linesman. And these guys were veteran officials and nobody wanted to be the referee. So it ended up, they said, well, no, you're the referee because I work umpire, I work head linesman and I only work back judge. So I worked the game. Uh, it was an onslaught about 58 nothing. But here's what I learned one of the first times learning, like, you know, you gotta just hold that whistle, which has become part of my pregame. Uh, they were running belly series right before the half. They were winning, Springfield was winning over Plymouth Marsh about 28 nothing, And I blew the whistle. And John, the ball was on 
12-yard line. It was one of those old belly series. So I, I told the coach at halftime, I said, hey, coach, I've never refereed, and this is my first game back here. And he said, don't worry about it. As it turned out, the game was 56 nothing. He did call up the assigner, complain about it. The assigner called me, and he asked me what happened. I gave him the details. I said, nobody wanted to ref. So he said, what are you doing this coming Saturday? I said, I'm open. He said, well, I want you to go to Upper Marion. And I asked him, I said, who's the referee? He says, you are. He says, now here's an opportunity to let that coach from Springfield know that you're in charge on the field. There you go. That, that kind of gave me a, a thrust. And from that time, I started to work the position of referee and still do today. 55 years later, you're still referee. Yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> why, why do you, why do you love officiating? What, what, what does that Italian blood in you, you know, bring out the love of officiating? Uh, it seems like you're doing two sports, but you know, what's that love? What is it? You know, you here, here's something that all people should stop and think about when you sit down and you do something. It's like, do you like playing golf? How good do you like playing golf? How often do you play golf? Are you a tennis player? Maybe some people like to go camping. But what I liked was the challenge to become part of the game, to be able to contribute, contribute from the point of uh, administering the game, as well as having knowledge to know what the rules are. And by the same time, trying to make sure that you get some sportsmanship. So I think when we get into these positions in these games, we don't realize sometimes how important you are as an official, because as an official, believe it or not, you're setting example. And, and this this comes back, uh, you'd be surprised how sometimes in life, when you least expect it, you get the recognition of someone walking up to you either in a mall uh, or even in Venice, Italy, and coming up and saying, hey, uh, aren't you the ref that refed our game at Pencrest? And then the young lady says, no, no, he did our game in basketball. So this was in Venice, Italy in 1996. And I have these kids talking to me that we're on, on some kind of class trip. And it shows that you don't realize it. You're doing something at the same time they are realizing who you are. Yep, that's good. Hey, I got a question for you. This, this question comes up a lot, but uh, did, did it change when you put that uniform on? Does it change you uh, in a different person uh, when you, you put the uniform on, you go out in the field? Is that Angelo, or is it the uniform is nothing to it? Does it? No, I, I, I think my officiating, and I hope it's this way because I've worked to make sure that I'm impartial. I think my officiating reflects who I am and how I conduct myself. Uh, there's, it's argumentable sometimes, maybe with coaches. You yeah. always hope to learn from your fellow officials. But no, I, I've never uh, taken it with the approach that just because I'm there or the other thing, like I noticed today, uh, a lot of guys wanting to become a white hat. It, it's, not, it's not as important to me to put on the uniform as it is to be able to provide and contribute to part of the game. Mm -hmm. Yep. Listen, you've done 55 years. How long do you want to go? I mean, I talked to an official the other day. He wants to go until he can't officiate anymore. Uh, do you have a goal that's basically maybe 60 years of officiating? Uh, you're still young. You got your health. 
Any thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a very interesting question that you bring up because that's kind of often a topic maybe in, in our household here is like, uh, geez, don't you think you want to give it up by now? There's a lot of other younger officials, et cetera. And yet on the other hand, you, you keep getting calls for games, uh, certainly when, when officials need someone. And my philosophy has been this, you hit it on the head. Uh, if I can get another five years out of this, <laughs> this would be miraculous. And that would be another story five years from now, if you're still doing this. But if I can get another five years out of this, as long as I feel it's, there's three things. Number one, that I have the physical capability to move up and down the field. Uh, number two, I have the knowledge of the rules. And number three, I'm making a contribution. Because certainly, you know, and I know as well as anybody at the high school level, uh, you're not in it for the money. And I'm certainly not in it for the prestige. I love it. I feel as though that when I walk on the field, that I might have something also to contribute to other younger officials. And I often do talk to them. I think some, some of my philosophy, which goes back to like, how do you handle the game from you know, pre-game conferences and all, and to try and get the experience so that you're second, second nature on some of the calls and not to be over-officious. It's one of the most important things I, I always like emphasize. Don't be over-officious. And my mantra has always been over the years, like I think things that stand out is like pre-game, if you don't see the ball, don't blow the whistle. Or my biggest pet peeve, I should mention that though, is, is coaches always asking, who committed that foul? And I think the one thing, even today, after 55 years, I find that we, we are remiss when they ask us, uh, what was the number? Who committed that? And someone will say, well, 75. Say, well, he's got a cast on his leg. He's sitting on the sideline. There's no <laughs> way it was 75. So I, I think it's important that you get the number and the spot. You wouldn't have thrown a flag if you hadn't seen a foul. And you certainly know the team you threw it against. So it, it's just a little extra concentration. And I find that like when I'm working with a, a team, uh, more often that have worked with me, we're pretty good on that. Good. Good. And that's important to get this, uh, not only the spot, but sometimes the action happens so fast and our eyes are moving because our legs are moving and sometimes we don't get the number. But we know we always think twice before we throw the flag, replay it in your mind and make sure the flag will commit because you don't want to throw a flag when uh, there was no, no foul. So you want to make sure you sick it twice. That's, that's it's great uh, information for some of the younger Guys are going to be listening to the rest chat room. Yeah, and holding, what's, and what's holding your, your whistle, what's your, too. I mean, another yeah. one of my stories, if you don't see the ball, don't blow the whistle till Monday morning. I mean, why be in a hurry? We'll get it right. Yeah. You know, I, I still officiate football, too, and I had I did about 18 games this year. And uh, the big thing on my crew is, uh, and this is not about me, but I never, I tell them I never bring a whistle. And they say, well, you don't blow it anyhow. <laughs> and I say, well, yeah, because... I will never have an inverted whistle. 47 years ago, I had one inverted whistle, and that was the last time. So I always wait for somebody else to blow the whistle, or it's got to be right in front of me where I blow the whistle. And I learned that from Bill Reynolds. But uh, uh, what what is officiating? Have you what have you given back to 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 officiating? What have you done? Have you helped any younger guys out? I know you do. I know I know you have that. And let me just go back one thing just to tell you about 
another five years. And Angelo, I've known you, and if you keep drinking that wine, you're going to be on the field another five years. You Italian guys always do that, right? <laughs> you, live, you live to be you live to be a hundred. Yeah. But what has what is officiating? What is what do you give back to officiating? Well, it, it, it all goes to having a philosophy when you're going into the game, and 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 part of that is like today we have become so much better at communication, and I think that's one of the the primary things that you have to address in anything you do, and, and this could be whether it's football or whether it's just at home, uh, whether in business, it's communication. And, and what I try and emphasize and, and stress to anybody that I'm working with is like two things. Number one, just have a knowledge of what you're doing. And I work with them a little, like a lot of younger guys. And number two, don't be that quick to throw the flag. Uh, it's in, important, like all of us did in learning, is that when you first start officiating, one of the greatest things is to be starting out at that youth and CYO level, because you should do that. And the reason you should do that is because there's where you make a thousand mistakes, and when you leave there, you go back more often than than more recently. You'd be checking the book, and you you, you become very knowledgeable of the rules and application. But the thing is that you, you start to develop judgment. So I've always talked to my team and young guys, and I always tell them, look, you got to officiate beyond the book. Uh, I've known several, by the way. They, these guys were great, great uh, rules interpreters and all. But when they got on the field, uh, the, the, the connection, the application of judgment wasn't there the same way as it, like someone like yourself. Like I've worked, and I know that you have the judgment. So I always tell these young guys, we, we we're, today we're learning so much more, and we have the advantage. Go to the clinics, uh, attend the conventions, go to your meetings, and and get evaluated. Ask for help. But the main thing you got to learn is to officiate. Is not just by the rule book. You got to learn to officiate what's in front of you. And sometimes some of the problem we have is that, like by today's mechanics. You might have a play in front of you, and certainly you're not going to turn to the coach and say, "Well, coach, that was John's call." But the point is that you still got to learn to officiate what's in front of you. The main get the right. rule, uh, get the play right. All right, that's very good information. And communication is uh, a key to any success in a marriage and a relationship. It's communication. Uh, I, I know I know you have these stories, and I'm, I know you're just waiting to get on. So tell me your second best story that's going to bring some humor to my rest chat room and uh, make everybody when they're listening to this give a little chuckle. Uh, I, I, I think this is this is a great one. Uh, certainly, uh, I was working a game at Marple Newtown, and it was uh, Harford High School. And I can be specific because of what happened in the game. Uh, the team Haverford just completed the play and there was a kid who was still on the ground not getting off and rolled off and this may have been back in the days when we said hey not that crap but we talked of course we're talking much better because we're on camera we're on film and everything today but we might say knock that crap off and get back on that side and so the captain from Haverford comes up to me and says what's the matter Uncle Ange I said Ralphie Ralph Farina I said Tell that boy to get back on that side and just play defense. 
Lo and behold, Marple coach calls a timeout. He says, hey, come over here. I say, yeah, what is it, Bob? He says, what did that kid just call you? I said, well, he just called me Uncle Lange. He said, well, you shouldn't be doing this game. You're a relative, you're an uncle. I said, no, Bob. I said, you don't. He's not my nephew. He's my brother-in-law's nephew. He said, well, how come he's calling you nephew? I said, well, it's an Italian thing. It's respect. I said, we're, we're forever together, sometimes on holidays and all. And he's not going to call me Angelo. He calls me Uncle Ange. And with that, he kind of like. <laughs> That's great. That's beautiful. That's a good story. And I'm, I'm laughing, too. So I can relate to that Italian, you know, because every time I work with you, you always have something saying Italian to me. Uh, here's a question for you. A lot of officials never get past the fifth year. Why do you think they they don't stick with it? Well, again, you have to make a commitment. It's why are you doing this? You know, and in my case, it was like wanting to be a part of and, and give something to the game. Uh, sometimes maybe for some of them, I might understand due to jobs uh, having like restrictions. I think one of the things like I had tried uh, working and uh, getting into the uh, college level and I did for a couple of years uh, and one of the things I worked with the government so it was kind of hard to be able to be available to go some games and I would think maybe some people are restricted by that as well as the fact that you know, they get out there and you know you do have to have thick skin I mean if you're going to be sensitive to what coaches have to say uh, you're never going to last out there and I give you some classic cases where you know guys will be all over you during the game but then at the end of the game the guy was uh one of the greatest gentlemen his name was sam dermagee who's out of st james and then Pancras. the guy would he was a little kinder than most coaches i would say when he disagreed with a call the guy was a pure gentleman at the end of the game and he would always tell you afterwards hey thank you very much so you've got to be become insensitive if you're going to be sensitive to uh how coaches or anyone else behaves out there then uh, you shouldn't be doing it so maybe they they give it up because there's not any money in it for them they can't do it because of their job or because and a lot of times families uh there are constraints that come into it yes that's true yeah it's a different world we live in now it's a weird world but uh we are uh, losing officials because everyone's getting older and we need officials to come in and start and I always tell a young kid if he wants to do it I want to steer him in the right direction I just don't want to say go on to a website or something like that I'm working with a guy now that just a friend of mine called me up and asked me I took him to my game with me I let him work the side let him let him listen to the pregame and I'm in contact with him every week trying to help him out and he's sort of like my big brother and that's one of the things that I'm trying to do. Um, tell me, tell me a crazy situation that happened to you, maybe in your uh, officiating career. Something happened to you a while. Like one of mine was, I left my shoes on the top of my car in the morning when I drove off to work, and when I got to my game, there was only one there. <laughs> yeah. You know, okay. I, I I do remember uh, one time being quite anxious to getting to the game. And fortunately, it was in the suburban area here. And I packed up all my gear, put it into the suitcase, and then I went to get something else. And then I got ready to leave. 
and I stopped to get gasoline, and then I'm on my way to the game, and suddenly I remembered, where the hell did I put the suitcase? It was not sitting on the back seat of the car. And as you know, we've come to, uh, in recent years, especially here at the high school level now, when you're, you're getting to a varsity game, and I think it's a good thing to be there like an hour and a half before the game. So fortunately for me in those days, uh, I was I was living here in Broomall, and I only had to get back over to Hartford High School. So I, I was able to like get back and get back to the game without having an impact. But uh, certainly it's one of those things maybe, yeah, you should have a list to check down and go through things and all. Like, you know, having lists of things like when you talk to your officials and all. Which is, by the way, like you were saying earlier, one, well, what are one of the things you try and pass on? Uh, I've always tried to work from this point. Don't be over officious because no one comes to see you and I work, John. They're there right. because there's the players, there's the band, there's the cheerleaders. And as they say, you know, uh, we're doing a good job if we blend in and, and we don't like uh, become the attraction of the game. And the other thing is like, also with a coach, uh, I've always tried to say this too. You know, these guys put hours and hours after Saturday night, Sunday morning, looking at films, and we do our our meetings and all, but still nowhere near the time they they do. And I always said, if the coach doesn't question, answer it. But don't conduct a clinic. Just get in and out, and and certainly as especially today, just have another official with you and talk to the coach. But my my philosophy goes part of this. I think it's important when you talk to guys in officiating. It's kind of like courtesy, common sense, communication, and consideration. I mean, these guys put a lot of time in, and I, I think we owe it to them. Some of them can be rude, I understand. But by the same token, that doesn't mean that you don't have to be professional. Yeah, wow. That's, that's, uh, that's powerful, what you just said. Powerful. I mean, you know, we never think about it as as the rest chat room, as all the coaches in a time, all we're doing is thinking about ourselves right now, but uh, it's, that's yeah, powerful words. I, think, and, uh, I do, I, I think you had to ask me about like the treatment of players. And and like I was starting to allude to in the one case there, you know, telling the players to get back where they belong. Uh, I can vividly remember another case uh, involved the Laura Marion player where uh, same kind of situation, he was logging around after the play and I said, hey boy, Get back on your side of the line. Well, he happened to be an African-American boy, and, 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 and he said, boy. And so I asked the captain, I said, how old is this young man? He said, 18. I said, well, tell him to get back. Tell that boy to get back. Uh, during the basketball season, now this is following this same year, I'm driving up Ardmore Avenue in Ardmore, and here's this guy, lanky, walking along. I had this small Volkswagen, and he's on his way to Lorraine High School, which well, I know classes start at 9 o'clock. It's five and nine. He's never going to get there, John, in time. So I got this small Volkswagen, and here's a six foot six kid, and I rolled down the window. He played basketball, and he was pretty good, too. And I yelled out the window. I said, Hey, boy, you need a ride to school. And he looked through the window. He said, Oh, Mr. Mancini, man. He said, Yeah, I'm late. I said, No kidding. So those, those are the kind of things that you remember. Yep. Yeah, that's a that's a good story. I mean, uh, I know I walk along the boardwalk uh, down the shore, and people, you know, just look at me and just 
they go, hey, and then I hear them talking, like you said, hey, that guy worked our games or whatever. So it's a, it's a, give, a lot of give, there's a lot of uh, give back to officiating, you know? I think that's it's a, it's a good feeling. And, and that's and a the, good and, feeling. And You're and walking the, through the mall and this guy like says something to you. Hey, weren't you a ref? Are you ref our game? He's like, uh-uh, what happened here? Or like one night sitting in Casey's in right. Newtown Square. I walked in and the bartender, he says, oh, I remember when you threw this penalty against me on the five-yard line and we were going for a touchdown. And then and the manager was a, another player who was on the team. I literally sat there. I had a nice burger and a couple beers that that these players from the past that you would have never thought of remembered you, you know, treated you with that kind of dignity. That was nice. Yeah. Hey, let's let this question is not on the on the script that I sent you, but the bottom line is, let's talk about the friendships that you over 55 years that you've met. Some now are, are, are moving on and, and passing away, but over 55 years, how about the interesting people that have have been uh, officiating in different games you're going to, and every time you do a game, it's a different person, different. It's not like a crew, even like in basketball. Uh, maybe lead on that a little bit over the friendships you've made over yeah certainly uh, in that period of time I, I think if you were go, to go on and try and single anyone out I, I wouldn't say particularly that uh, if I did that then I'd be leaving somebody else's name out uh, just in my case with you just to have the privilege to talk to you today I met you I met you as a young fella and I, I saw you as you officiated and worked together with you and I liked what I saw and all uh I work with a lot of like like young guys today. A young fellow who's in the uh, uh, suburban chapter, and we converse a lot over the phone. Uh, I'm saying more so a lot, a lot of the younger guys, as of recent years, <laughs> where I've been more available, I get to talk with. And what we'll do is like after a game, whether it's my game or their game, is we'll talk on the phone about a play. Hey, here's a play that came up. Here's how it was handled. What's your opinion, or what'd you think of? So I do that often, and I do that with with a lot of young guys, particularly and all. And the thing that I find most of all is that uh, you have this friendship that you build up, it, which certainly you go to these conventions and all, and it's a good opportunity at the same time uh, to be able to get out and enjoy not only like being there for the knowledge of you know the football or basketball but also for the interaction with your fellow officials. And uh, to, towards that end, I would say that, you know, this is kind of like name dropping things, but however, I will. Uh, yeah, when I started out and I was working uh, uh, at, at the middle school level, uh, you'd be most surprised one of the first guys I worked with. And this just goes to show you that you should never think that you are above it. The guy's name was Bill Reynolds, and Bill Reynolds and we were two men officiating, and I was I was really green there, and he said, "No, you be the referee." So we're doing. That was two men then. That was, of course, when we started some 35 years ago for middle, <laughs> and then also wow. uh, I remember I'd have to say young whippersnapper. I said, "This kid's not a bad official." And I was working a CYO game over in Sacred Heart. Uh, eighth grade level as you know and all and here's this guy boom boom but he was good and he was sharp and it was kind of in his blood and of course it was none other than the uh famous joe crawford had come from that family and that was an interesting you know uh, playback when people i've met walt walt peters who worked in the nfl uh i forget the guy's last name now mm -hmm. 
but there were several that that had works. Uh, I had worked at, in in a Thanksgiving Day game uh, at Marple. You edit this part out, maybe. I can't think of his name, but the guy went on to work in the NFL. That's good. That's good. Well, that's great. I mean, uh, this has been a great interview. Uh, just so you know, my listeners out there, I didn't tell them to mention my name or anything like that and give me any some kudos, so it wasn't in the script. And uh, the other thing is, Bill Reynolds was my second interview, and Joe Crawford was my uh, first interview. Uh, so go on to the rest chat room and listen to it. And, uh, you know, let's wrap it up and, and see. And just tell me, you know, 55 years, what could you say in a couple of sentences and uh, how you've been seen over the years of your officiating, what, to, what, it bring to, what it brings to you? Okay, John. The interesting part about it is that you'll find, uh, going back from when we first started, and I think I mentioned it's worth mentioning again, and up till today, I think when I first started, coaches seemed to have more influence about like putting blame on, uh, if you were the head of a crew, I mean, like everybody wants to be a referee, but it used to be, despite the fact that if you didn't make the big call, it was like, here's somebody on your crew. Uh, today, you have better backing, I believe, from the assigners. And the assigners get out there and they evaluate you and they see what you do. And I think it's important, as we said throughout, like you have to always remember one thing that although people aren't there to see you you are still making an impression on people and the fact of how you perform there carries on it's just in the cases yourself where you run into people that have recognized you and i think that's a rewarding part that's a big rewarding part because it's not like <laughs> they, they came up to you and said something to you other than hey geez I worked your game and you did a nice job because at the time they may have complained, but at least today they've matured through it and they, and they have the common sense to acknowledge the fact that, and appreciate what you've done for them. So to me, officiating has been really fun from the point of like being involved and knowing that like as long as I'm out there working and giving my best, I want to stay out there. That's it. And uh, with that, uh, let me tell you something. If you if it's not fun anymore for you, then you probably should hang up the shoes. But if you enjoy it and the camaraderie between the, your fellow officials, and I know this is coming from my heart, as Angelo's, I've known you for over 30 years, that everybody loves you. Um, when we, we, we see you at the meetings, we, we basically put our hearts out to you because we know 55 years is a long time to be officiating. And, you know, people get old, but you know what? You just, you still have the spirit and the go go knowledge and just the, the Italian part of you and everybody just loves you. And I want to thank you for being uh, so uh, generous in giving your opportunities to these young people out there listening to it. And hopefully somebody gets something out of it. And uh, we, we uh, in the officiating family, appreciate everything you've done. Well, John, let me also thank years. you, too. It's been an honor and a privilege uh, to be considered by you. And I do hope that there is some information here that some people can get and find of value. Yep, I think that is. And I think uh, the communication, common sense, you, you targeted a lot of words there. And if people, you know, one, one person said humble, one person said, just be a good listener. 
and listen to the people that are above you and been doing games for a long time. So all that information is good, and, and it was fun. And you know what? It was just like we talked about. It, it was really fun. So uh, thank you for being on the ref chat room. All right, God bless and you. We'll thank you. you later. To know Angelo, even briefly, is a memorable encounter. It's no wonder that he has got recognized in Venice, Italy, by students he officiated. The Ref Chat Room wants to give a healthy thank you to Angelo.